0: Welcome to episode 581 with my guest, Ellie Vingiano. My name is Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the bullshit bouncing around in our skulls. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website for this show is mentalpod.com, and mentalpod is the social media handle you can follow us at. Um, Let's dive into some surveys, huh? This one is from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by uh, a guy who calls himself Blash, and his struggles are anxiety and depression, and a snapshot from his life. I used to lay in the middle of the road in high school to help myself cope with anxiety. I could feel the terror of a hypothetical car coming to run me over while trying to resist the urge to get up. I would play music into my ears so loud while staring at the stars, just so I could keep myself from looking down. But in the end, I'd always jump up. A car never came by. I got to assume you lived in the boonies. Wow, that is that is quite a uh, quite a picture you painted. I'm glad you're I'm glad you're okay. That's not so funny. Reading that, even though I knew you clearly didn't die because you wrote that. I was nervous reading that. Uh, This is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Joe Mama. Oh, I'm a big fan. And uh, he asked, did you ever meet Ted Turner? I never did meet meet Ted. Um, For those of you that don't know, I used to host a TV show on uh, TBS called uh, Dinner and a Movie and uh, never did. I always wanted to meet him. I don't know what I would have said. He probably would have asked me. Uh, he probably would have ordered a drink from me, thought I was a waiter. But um, yeah, he was definitely, a, you know, the word maverick gets thrown around a lot. But he said something that I thought was kind of interesting about media conglomeration and the difficult, uh, how difficult it is these days with so much power in the hands of few, so few corporations. He said that a channel like his would never... Have survived in today's climate because there's there's just such an imbalance of power. Maybe maybe that's what I would have asked him if I met him. Uh, this is from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by Not Sure What I'm Asking, and uh, she writes, "What is the best way to conquer the fuckets? I can't afford to be drunk again, and every time something important goes sideways, I just want to go crawl into the bottle. You know, there's a there's a saying in recovery that, you, you know, if you're if you're an alcoholic or an addict, you drink from the bottle and then the bottle starts drinking from you, and it sounds like that's the place that you're at. And we talk about the fuck it's a lot in uh, our support group. And for me, uh, by the time I get to the fuckets, I'm in I'm in trouble, and so for me, it's more of a preventative thing where I need to stay in contact with people who understand me, who can support me, and vice versa. And asking for help was was the only thing that has worked for me because I tried doing it on my own for years, and it just if anything got worse and worse. And you know, there's a saying it's you can't fix uh, the broken brain with a broken brain because uh, we we just do not have. We're so self-absorbed and fear-based when we're when we're untreated that our perspective on our own lives is so warped. We can have a clear perspective on other people's lives because we're we can be emotionally detached from from them. But yeah, I hope you I hope you you get to a place where you let somebody help you, or a group of people help you. This is uh, also from the Ask Paul Anything survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Maz, and she writes, have you ever felt so sad you cannot even wank? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I am not a quitter, and I have never gotten to the place where I can't give it a tug. Ugh, I just gross myself out. <laughs> I'm sure there are people that get so sad they can't wank. Maybe you need to get stripped down, get in front of that mirror, give yourself a pep talk. And who says you can't cry while you're wanking? What's the What's the word we came up with that on the podcast to, for that? Master sobbing? Uh, also from the Ask Paul Anything survey, filled out by Chatterbox, she asked, do you ever feel waves of remorse for your mother on not being a part of your life? Well, I, I'm a little confused on, do you mean remorse for her or remorse for me? I, I can, I'll I just speak on my feeling on the situation in general. Not remorse, but sadness, because I know I made the right decision by ending my relationship with her, because I had to do it to maintain my sanity and my mental health and, and to be able to grow but I do feel sad about it. I feel um, grief, but over time it's gotten it's gotten better. This is an awful moment filled out by a guy who calls himself that sofa looks more comfy than my retirement plan. Oh, I love that. And he writes uh, a close relative of mine just today told me they might have a serious issue with a tumor in their head. But not even that news has stopped me from sweating about the same shitty, small stuff, woe is me, problems that run through my head and darken most days for me about 800 times from wake till sleep. I've really become a stranger to myself. I think that is so human, though, to just be self-obsessed. Especially, I think, in the absence of any kind of recovery and support because it just remains all about us. Even if we're calling ourselves a piece of shit or the flip side that, you know, we're the king, it's still all about us and it's a shitty, lonely way to go through life. Uh, Maybe you've read my book, uh, Sweat the Small Stuff. uh, You should read the chapter, It's Probably Cancer. Uh, Begin Worrying. Very popular chapter. And another popular chapter, people secretly hate you uh, because of that one mistake you made that one time. But uh, I think a a network of support people to get out of yourself would really, really help. This is from the struggle in a sentence survey filled out by... uh, Gender fluid person who refers to themselves as loud in the clouds. About their ADD, they write hyper focused on a puzzle listening to your podcast with an unpacked apartment. (laughs) The movers will be here tomorrow. Oh my God, that is so fantastic. About their anxiety, sitting still makes me scream. God, these are so good. About alcoholism and drug addiction, I'm an invisible house on fire searching for anything to ease the flames. About their anorexia. I leave my groceries out too long after I get enough courage to buy them so they go bad and I won't have to eat after all. About their love addiction. I'm obsessed with you because you convinced me I'm not worthless. This one's so heavy. About being a sex crime victim. Rape feels like home. And then a snapshot uh, from their life. Rainbow on the outside, dumpster on the inside. Oh, man sadly i think a lot of us relate deeply to the things that that you shared and i suppose one of the reasons why i started the podcast is like i can't be the cure for any of that but i can i can let you know that you are a part of a family of people that understand you you may not be related Uh, oh my god did you hear my stomach Maybe I should have eaten something before I hit record. Oh, my God. I thought I was going to have to worry about Gracie making noise. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I'm a big fan of them. I've been... I've been doing therapy with them from the comfort of my home for many years, and uh, I have a, a new therapist, as I've talked about many times, uh, named Heidi, who is helping me with my productivity, and i got to say, it's really working. I don't think I've been in such a creative, productive place in in years, and it feels really good, and uh, she, she gave me some advice, uh, just simple kind of things to do, small goals to set, and uh, I'm very pleased. I'm very pleased. So uh, BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Uh, Give it a try. See why over 2 million people have used BetterHelp online therapy. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And the Mental Illness Happy Hour listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com mental. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what is? When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is uh, from the Struggle in a Sentence survey filled out by Cinderella. And uh, she is a teenager and she writes, My mom could never understand my depression or my anxiety. In the parentheses, if you remember, I was the survey about my mother calling children in a mental ward little whiners. Uh, Today, I had an anxiety attack, and just five minutes later, she sent me an interview of a woman who described the horrific experience of escaping North Korea. My mother sent me this podcast with her exact words being, quote, watch when you have some time for some perspective. Your fear of death is your love of life in reverse. (laughs)
1: gotta look for him
0: will one day be your greatest strength
1: and when you find them it's a great feeling
0: and i'm suddenly feeling horrible about <laughs> making that joke but that's how far i will go to get a laugh because i am empty inside
1: ah uh, you're in the right place
0: i'm here with ali vingiano did i
1: pronounce that right that's pretty good yeah yeah, yeah.
0: um who is a writer producer performer uh when your publicist reached out to me and said she is a writer on the morning show i was like yes (laughs) yes and yes uh my my girlfriend and i gobble up every episode of that show it's so fucking good
1: oh thank you it is a wild ride is it? Yeah. I mean, just watch. I mean, uh, like... Oh, you
0: mean the show. I thought you meant producing it.
1: Oh, well, both. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. It is, uh, you know, this is an understatement, but it's such a timely show. Mm. And the way it deals with complicated issues with compassion and a biting sense of humor. It, it's just great for people that don't know. It's on Apple uh, TV, and it stars Jennifer Aniston, Reese Witherspoon, Steve Carell. You've made some appearances in it uh, as haven't. well. I haven't. I oh, haven't okay. acted in Morning Show. Okay. Um, I don't know where I read that. I always get bad information. I want to know where you read that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish. Um, and you have put videos online uh that i assume you wrote and produced your yourself uh that are so funny and smart uh the when things don't go as planned which Mm. has had millions of views is so it's about uh i'm not spoiling anything but about a woman who gets pregnant and decides to to have an abortion and um you you handle it with um such a great touch you know you you seem to be somebody who really loathes (laughs) (laughs) saccharin.
1: thank you i think uh, yeah i think that is true and i think i um really love mixing tones in pieces and tackling things that are a little tougher with some poignancy and levity
0: yeah yeah they're they're uh, in that piece, in particular, the intimacy through you and your uh your friend it's implied mm-hmm. it's never spoken but um they've they've kind of got this wall of of humor up um and as we were talking before we started recording, you were saying that vulnerability is is something that's that's difficult uh for you that's that, that, that's a challenge and I think that's a a great topic to talk about. Yeah. Um, you know, I was saying to Allie before we started recording that, you know, one of the things that makes for a good episode here is people getting vulnerable. And you said sometimes that's a challenge for you. And I said, well, that's a great place <laughs> to start because I think for a lot of us, we're afraid that if we expose our truth, our authentic selves, we're going to be judged and there's going to be some kind of mess we're going to have to handle. Mm-hmm. Um, talk talk about... Uh,
1: Vulnerability. It's, yeah, it's so interesting because when I was driving here, I was just like thinking, you know, it's hard sometimes to do podcasts because I'm like, you just say things out loud and then you drive home and you're like, what did I say? Was it stupid? Like, is everyone going to hate it? And thinking about going on a mental health podcast and talking about my mental health, of which I have many things to talk about, um, vulnerability really came to mind because because being doing this podcast was starting to make me feel vulnerable and it was bringing up a lot of ang- feelings of anxiety um i've chosen a career in which vulnerability is so necessary and throughout my journey creating you know videos short films writing performing uh, it's something i face over and over again when i first i remember when i first released something that i had written and i acted in and i produced it and i had spent about a month editing it i worked so hard on it i put all my own money into it and the night before i was going to release it i had a panic attack and i just thought i can't i'm not going to do it i'm just not going to put it out there i made it i learned a lot and that's great and that's where it's going to end um
0: what were the specific thoughts
1: The specific thought was, everybody will know that this is the best I can do, and if it's not good, I will have failed. This is me trying my hardest. I, you know, there's no one else I'm making this for. I'm doing it all on my own. I spend all my own time on it. This is my best. And the idea of having to perform at my best, instead, you know, I was, I think I was 24. Instead of thinking of it as like, hey, I like did something all on my own. I like got my friends together. I wrote something I believed in. I, I acted. I made myself vulnerable and I'm trying. Um, those were thoughts I would never have, you know, it was, um, yeah, I was, everyone will know that this is my full potential. And that was such a horrifying thought. Um, and I released the video the next day. Anyway, thank God. And, um, you know, it got, I I I I don't want to say that it was worth it because it it people responded to it well because even if it hadn't responded to it well I think it still like would have been worth it but in the experience that I had I um you know it was watched by like hundreds of thousands of people it got press it was written about on like Jezebel and Huffington Post and it got a Vimeo staff pick and it was this huge huge moment in my career, which made me think, oh, I can actually really do this. Mm. Um, but it, releasing it was the hardest thing I'd yeah. done. And
0: which episode was it?
1: That was just, a, it was a four-minute video called "X's." It's, a, it's a, a, sh- a short film. It's its like a short film slash a sketch about someone running into their ex and mm. what they're really thinking is written in subtitles. Um, and I just put it on my own YouTube page and my own Vimeo page.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, that device also, which you use in job interview, uh,
1: is
0: (laughs) so fucking funny.
1: So that, oh, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, no, I was just saying it's so, it's so
1: funny. So that job interview is, um, that's, that exists because after I made X's, Glamour reached out to me and asked me to make a web series for them. So I made four more videos for Glamour because I made that one thing on my own, you know? Yeah. So, Isn't it
0: funny how as performers or, you know, creative people, there's this drive to want to be seen. And then when we get the opportunity, we're like, oh my God, I feel so naked. I don't, I don't want this.
1: Yes, it is the, it is the weirdest thing because I know I've wanted to be a performer since I was four years old. I wanted to be a screenwriter since I was in middle school. Like I know when I really connect to my true self, like... I know that this is what I'm meant to do, um, and I also, you know, exes was was not the most. It was the first thing that made me feel vulnerable. But then I went on to make things like when things don't go as planned, and I made a short film called When I Saw Him Again. That you know I had made the the video about abortion with my friend Brittany Ashley, and like I think making something with somebody else gives you this like support. And nice. um, when I saw him again, I you know I wrote it on my own and it um it's about a woman who's like basically runs into or or sees her rapist and then ends up confronting him and it's a 22 minute short film i act in it and i do drama i act in a really dramatic role and i hadn't done that before and um And that is like the most vulnerable, like that was another moment when, when I released it, I remember exactly where I was and I was just thinking, what the hell am I doing? And then I got such an incredible response of people being like, this is the first time I've really felt accurately represented in a video about this sort of content. Like, I feel like so seen and like, this gives me hope that I can get closure. This gives me hope that like I can heal from this too. And Um, you know, it's so worth it. I would really, I would make myself vulnerable again. I like, I, am driven to do it. And, um, but I really do struggle at the same time with, with the response I'm going to get. And I can definitely get caught up with just the idea of how other people are perceiving me. And, um, you know, (laughs) it's, it's very, it's scary for sure. And
0: what is the name of that one?
1: That one is called when I saw him again. Okay. And that I made when I was at BuzzFeed video. And similarly to what you were just saying, when I was at BuzzFeed, it was sort of like I had gone from making things on my own to now having this huge audience and people were starting to follow me. And like and I started thinking about the way I was presenting myself and like how to be authentic and how to be myself and like just all of those ideas of self presentation um
0: as you're discovering who you are
1: as I had no idea who I was like I really think I was a late bloomer I think um I think I really didn't know who I was until much later in my life and I mean I'm young still but like you know um I did not know who I was when I was at at that point and I was trying to figure it out and making arts a great way to do that but I think I got really caught up in um You know, I I can't imagine being a child star because I I just I would I would not have I would not be able to survive it because that idea of like who I am, coupled with who do I want to present as or how how do other people see me can really poison your brain and detract from you finding your authentic self. Yeah.
0: What if you're comfortable talking about what childhood was like, Mm -hmm. what home life was like, kind of what your view of yourself and how you related to the world was like when you were when you were growing up
1: Mm -hmm. Um, like where do i start where do people start
0: (laughs) uh let's start with this let's start with some snapshots that you think are kind of emblematic of um your experience uh your emotional life as a as a kid whether they're victories or painful memories or just things that stick in your mind for some odd reason it's weird it's weird how sometimes we'll we'll remember the most seemingly mundane uh things
1: that's true i you know i had a good childhood i was raised north of new york city and um my um like there, there's a lot of memories, but that come to mind. Did like, you feel
0: like you fit in at school?
1: So fitting in is definitely a big thing for me because I um, I never really felt like I fit in growing up anywhere. Um, it always sounds silly to bring this up now because I've had a gluten allergy. I've had celiac disease since I was like two years old. And it oh. sounds silly to like bring it up now because especially in LA, like I can go into about anywhere, like any diner and eat a great meal. But growing up, um, you know, it took years for my parents to figure out what I was. I was sick all the time as a kid. Nobody knew what a gluten allergy was. Nobody knew what gluten was. And when you're growing up, food is such a crucial part of bonding and experience. And you know, the birthday parties at school and the birthday parties at your friends' houses and like
0: being allergic to pasta as an Italian.
1: Yeah, I know. Oh my I know.
0: God.
1: <laughs> Later on when I finally went to Italy <clears throat> with my family, um, Italy had like gluten-free food everywhere because apparently it's very it's very popular among Mediterranean people because they overeat so much gluten. So um but yes, it was very hard and I couldn't eat like pizza at the birthday parties or the birthday cake or like and all the parent, like it, parents didn't know how to feed me and my own parents, it put a lot of stress on them because I think it was harder for my mom than it was for me. But my mom always felt like, you know, I remember there was a birthday party at my friend's Emily's house and, um, I, my parents, we grew up in a neighborhood that was very, there was a lot of wealth, but we did we did not have like, we were fine. We were totally fine, but we did not have the wealth of my friends and, mm-hmm. and some of my friends and, um her mom brought out this, like, huge birthday cake that was probably, like, hundreds of dollars. And, like, I didn't have a response to it, but my mom just started crying. And, like, mm. I think knowing my mom, knowing how hard it was for my mom put a lot onto me. And um, and so then as I got older, I think fitting in, I think I was so desperate to fit in because, like, I didn't want to be like the weird kid. I didn't want to like be the weird one who like had the thing and no one wanted to hang out with her because like we could only go to these places or like, so I never brought up my allergy. Like I, I just ignored it. We would just, I would go with my friends to get like pizza after school and just like not eat. And like, so I think I was always, I think that, and then some other things too, um, just like carrying some emotional stuff uh, for my parents. I think I um, always was very too desperate to fit in and often with people who were not good friends to me. I definitely had friends growing up who I was very willing to be the one who we could all laugh at or like to be like the butt of the joke because I just wanted people to like me and do whatever necessary to get people to like me. Um, It's also worth mentioning that my dad is a, a Vietnam veteran and um you know just the way that a combat veteran and he was drafted and he's a psychologist and he's an amazing amazing human being who you know he ran a psychology department out of va for years but you know there is a lot of ptsd and um that he's worked through like beautifully but not until you know later in his life but um so there is some generational trauma in my family too.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of times we think that the PTSD uh is contained within the person who oh, yeah. experiences that and uh um in the first or second year of the podcast we had a guest on who came on with his father who was a Vietnam vet wow. and and they talked uh, very openly about the effect that it that it had uh on on both of them you know the hypervigilance the like every every 4th of July i think oh my god the poor veterans the poor veterans
1: i know i know absolutely like 4th of July is um people get very upset about dogs and <laughs> i do yes. care for dogs i am an animal lover but um mm. i i do think that the conversation about uh veterans is always like muted a little bit um but yes it's awful and also like yeah i mean i remember we did go see fireworks a couple times as an adult and once my dad did have a reaction to it and then we sort of just stopped going and um also they're horrible for the environment no are they? I never thought yeah, about that. Yeah, they really are. Like yeah. the day after 4th of July in L.A., like you should never go outside. Yeah. I remember my partner like went for a run on July 5th this morning and I was like, please don't go. You're going to die. <laughs> the chemicals are like horrible.
0: Yeah. So um, you talked about struggling to fit in when you were a kid or worrying about being rejected. Um were there particular things that you that you got picked on for
1: um i think that like yeah i mean i think like my the food stuff was definitely one of the things of just like gluten free food like was inedible at the time like it was not like it is now like so there were like definitely jokes there and then i think to, like certain things about like physical appearance stuff that you know, was like when I was probably in middle school that other people that I'm sure everyone has experienced in some capacity. But um, other than that, I think it w- – I'm trying to think of like when I was older in high school. I mean, I was very like – I wasn't full on Reese Witherspoon in election, but I was very <laughs> – um, my 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 high school superlative was done most for the school if that sums it up <laughs> that sums it up so I was a little bit of like uh raising my hand in the class, wanting to answer a lot of questions type mm. of type of kid um and I think that I definitely went through like phases of like who I was friends with and like the groups that I was part of, but I think that ultimately. I think I've like blacked it out because I'm trying to remember, like, okay, what what was I bullied about, and like, what were my friends making fun of me for? And I literally like can't even think of it. I just know the Mm -hmm. feeling that I felt, but I think my issue is like a lot of girls experience this. Um, I think sometimes I'm sure men do as well, but like when it's not like I had bullies. Like I was in a group that was like I was not bullied by like the popular kids. It was more like my friends. I often were was friends with people who were not nice to me. Yeah. And I thought that that's what friendship meant. So it was a lot easier for me to like want to be at home and, and writing and like reading and like working on a screenplay. Like I wrote my first script when I was a freshman in high school. That was like yeah. 120 pages and like, or hanging out with my parents. Like that was just easier for me than like going out and trying to make friends. Mm-hmm. And so as I've gotten older, I think making friends, I've really had to actively shift like the meaning of friendship and what I want from friends and, like, that that's safe and beautiful and, like, all of that stuff.
0: And do you have friends that you're able to really, truly let your walls down around?
1: I do. And one of them is a woman I met on the morning show. And we, like, were talking about this recently. Like, in June, we went to, like, Joshua, or, you know, Joshua Tree for a weekend and about how as you get older, it's hard to have those friends who you just, like, want to, like, order Thai food and watch movies and like the real friendship you had as a kid where you like had sleepovers rather than just like getting lunch and catching up and how deeply we were both like that is like what we miss and like it's harder especially after COVID and readjusting to friends you know like to having those really close friends um and I am I am lucky that I do now have I don't have as big of a community as I crave right now um and that comes from both my own my own inability to be vulnerable when I was younger around my community, but also I moved across the country like three times in five years and really was like such like a careerist and really prioritized that. Um, but I am really lucky that I have like re- a few really good friends who I feel like I can really um, uh, not only be vulnerable with, but like. Um, who know who who I can tell what I need?
0: Are there any moments you feel uh, that that you can recall with a friend where you're like, "That's a moment of of being with a friend that I want to be the bar for," mm. where maybe one of you helped each other or you just, the walls came down or maybe you talked about something or you said something to each other.
1: Yeah, that's a good question.
0: Um... Or is it just kind of a general vibe with, with
1: no, I mean, there's definitely like, you know, there's just, I'm trying to think of something like the most meaningful thing because there's definitely moments that come to Mm -hmm. mind. Like, um, I have been going through a lot this year with, like, um, sort of dealing with a sick parent. And my friends have been so crucial in that, especially one friend of just reminding me that she wants to be there for me and that it's not a burden and that it's a joy and that, like, she would do anything for me. And, like, I think she's also a friend who, like... When I broke up with my ex-boyfriend, like, for the first time, <laughs> like, came over. That
0: explains a lot. <laughs> that explains yeah. a lot. Um, oh, you
1: know. and by the
0: way, I want to plug uh, The End of Us. Oh, thank which is, you. Which is uh, a film that Ali uh, stars in. It's a, a rom-com. About. I only saw the trailer for it, but it looks r- really funny and really spot on about the difficulty of deciding whether or not to break up with somebody.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. Um, and thank you. It, it was so fun to make that movie. And um, But yeah, like that was a friend who was there for me Like as soon as she found out and came over with ice cream and wine and just sat with me. So it, it, is, it is really special to have friends like that. Um,
0: it's nice, too, to have a friend that just comes and listens, can be comfortable in silence, doesn't try to fix you, doesn't try to change the emotion that you're having.
1: Yeah. Oh, and I'm remembering that friend also... Picked me up from the airport because I was in New York. We had I broken we had broken up, and then I went to New York, and then flew back. And she was like, "Hey, I'm going to pick you up." And I was like, "This is so nice of you." And she's like, "Well, I didn't want you to reach out to him and ask for a ride."
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, she really knows you. Wow, you're a good friend. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, let's segue into romantic relationships. Sure. Um, What what is the uh, what are the hurdles uh, that you find yourself or the patterns you find yourself repeating, if if any?
1: Sure. I am. um, So the fear of judgment that I had growing up and like I I talked a little bit about that. And um, I I am hesitant to talk too much about my family because like I love my family so much and I'm so protective of them. But (laughs) um, I had a lot of criticism growing up Mm. and I – a lot of fear of judgment, fear of what other people are going to think was sort of embedded into me through one of my parents. And I think that has been, as an adult, something I've realized is – so I have two two struggles. I think earlier in my life, it was just I would never pick people who I was – who I liked, who were good for me, who I actually felt a connection to, you know, I want, I, it was too scary to actually make myself available in that way and to commitment in that way. I was like, I'd rather just say people I can have fun with for like six months or a year. And like, then like, just know that you're not right for me. So I don't actually have to conceptualize the idea of like marriage and partnership. And
0: I think it's also hard to, when, when you're comfortable with, um, criticism being in your environment uh it's hard to respect somebody that loves you and sees you for for who you are it's 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 really hard
1: absolutely to accept that love and yeah. to accept that yeah that's very real and i yeah. definitely feel like i picked people who either didn't totally see me or um who i knew were not the right people for me Mm-hmm um and i and
0: i also would, would like to um add that uh you know the parent that is critical you know a lot of times i think you know we want to we want to demonize them and the the more this topic has been talked about on the show the more i've realized that it was the parents way of believing they're protecting their child mm-hmm. from wandering into an unsafe world that they need to help them become aware of the things that other people are going to attack them for so it 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 can be coming from a loving place and i imagine that's where it probably came from
1: completely like i know it was all on their own fear of the way that they were perceived in the world. And, um, you know, I think this is so linked to my career because, I, like I said, I've wanted to do my work since I was a kid, but um, there was so much fear instilled in me of, like, nobody makes it in screenwriting. You need to have connections. In order to be an actress, you need to be, like you know crazy beautiful and stick thin and like you know th- this it's too competitive you don't know anyone in this world like why don't you be a lawyer a lawyer is a lot like being an actress cuz you have to perform like mm-hmm. um you should be a doctor you know i there was so much fear instilled that i would not succeed and i actually studied politics in school despite knowing you know what i wanted to do and um and then when I was in my early twenties, my dad was like, "If you don't do this now, you're going to regret it forever. Just try," and so I did. And like, thank God. But I know that it was coming from a place of wanting to protect me and not wanting me to fear, yeah. have the rejection. Um, but now it is very hard.
0: Uh, <laughs> and my dad was the was the same way. Really? And my mom was encouraging. And my dad was like, "Oh, you're so thin skinned. Mm. You know, it's it's I." I worry for you. And probably the first three years of doing stand up, I was fueled by
1: spite. <laughs> <laughs> totally. I get that. Yeah. It's so funny. I cut you off.
0: What were you going to say?
1: Um, I think I was going to say that. What was I going to say? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> that um, just, I think like there was.
0: Being a- encouraged.
1: Yes, I think my my dad encouraged me, and when I was in my early twenties, and I and I did pursue what I really wanted. I think I know that the criticism and judgment was coming from a, a place of wanting to protect me. I think it did. It has. Oh, what I was going to say is that I texted my like I texted my family. Well, it doesn't matter. Or it was just funny because I, now I'm so aware of these things, and I can have. I they, I don't let them. I'm not as penetrable, Mm -hmm. but, like, I texted, like, I saw my movie in the theaters, and, like, it it felt so amazing to, like, see it on the big screen and hear the laughter, and, like, and I said, which I felt like was a really, like, special thing to say, like, it felt like where I was supposed to be, like, it Mm -hmm. wasn't, like, you know, and, and the response was, like, um, how did the audience respond? And I was mm-hmm. like, they liked it. And then it was like, great. Like, I was like, oh, this is just such like they a little thing. They don't want you to be deluded like, and of,
0: disappointed.
1: Of like, you don't care about how it felt for me. You just want right. to know how, if other people liked it. Yeah. So it's just like, um, but but I think it has penetrated me now in terms of, I'm, I work through it a lot and I work do a lot of stuff to like get back to self. Um, but there is that, st- that there I still do have that fear of like, Well, what are other people perceiving, you know, and it's not not debilitating, but uh, it exists. And I think in relationships, I really need to work on my own, like, because I'm so critical, like I can be a very critical partner and I have so much self-awareness that I really try not to be, but it still like seeps out and it's like something that I do work on where it's like, I don't want to try to change my partner like I need to accept them and like the more I change them the more I'm going to change myself and hurt myself and hate this and not Mm -hmm. it's not going to work out like it's just all about acceptance but it is something that you know I have to remind myself of
0: and and that's where it's so easy I think to fool ourselves into thinking I'm just being funny I've got a I've got a sense of humor and you don't realize I'm just fucking chipping away at this person and we don't even know sometimes that we're trying to control them. Right. We think we're just being real with them, and we have this gift of humor in our relationship, <laughs> and we can't see that that we're we're chipping away at their self esteem yeah. and and our intimacy.
1: Exactly. Right. It's yeah. so much. Oh, it is a tool for putting a barrier between you and your partner. Mm-hmm. It is a tool to distance yourself. Yeah. So I think that's very real. And I think that it's sort of taught to us in different elements of our life that that gender dynamic is very typical also. Like the critical wife, the critical mom, the like, you know, you're always trying, you're a stupid husband, you always have to fix them. They're always doing something wrong. And I do think ultimately as i've experienced the world it has been a learning lesson of if you cannot accept someone for who they are neither of you will ever be happy in the relationship
0: Let's move on or accept them yes you know and you know it's also difficult know, knowing when to, when to make a stand mm-hmm. when to say you know this is not okay and to understand the difference between that and trying to change them
1: Right. Yes, of course. Like you still have your boundaries. You still have the things that you need in a relationship and that you want. And it's like, it can totally be a thing of like, hey, like I need more of this and I don't feel like you're giving that to me. And like, wh- when does that become <laughs> <Right. laughs> you trying to change yeah. them?
0: And it, I I think one of the most valuable tools is, uh, you know, understanding that there's almost nothing we can't express if we can find the right way to express it with the right words and the right tone of voice at the right time
1: mm-hmm. and
0: it's so hard and there's it's such trial and error getting to that place and as you kind of mentioned expressing our needs, especially in terms of our feelings, rather than saying, hey, you're not this, you're not that, you do too much of this, you always do that, rather than saying, I, I feel really alone right now. I feel far away from you and I don't want to feel that. I want to feel closer to you.
1: Yeah. I think that we put so much onto the fault of our partners. And so often it is that you're working through something on your own and like the way you're perceiving them is something that needs to be the discussion. Um, I think COVID, for those who did have a partner during COVID and who mostly hung out with one person for a year or more, um, I think like, I'm just, like, waiting. I just, like, I'm, like, are we all massively codependent now? Because I definitely am. (laughs) Like, I just think so much of it became, like, if I'm not happy, then, like, like, it's this group thing. And, like, I've had to do so much work to come back to, like, okay, this is me. These are the things that I do for myself. Like, these are my feelings. Like, you know, just, like, so much separating myself from my partner and, um, like, Learning that every emotion that I have is not related to the relationship. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is such an important topic and so hard. Uh, I think until you're in an intimate relationship or at least close in proximity, uh, you you don't realize what a mirror. And I think a lot of people die never realizing that their relationships are mirrors mm-hmm. for what is going on with them it's so easy to just say up oh, done with this let's move on to the next and when it becomes uncomfortable and i there's too many things i don't want to talk about or decisions i want to make uh just burn it onto the next yeah and then,
1: and then you do the same things all over again unless all over you're again. actually doing the internal work yeah
0: Um, Have uh, support groups ever been something that you've uh, considered or tried? Does does it hold any allure for you?
1: That's interesting. I've never really been to a support group. I've been to like an Al-Anon meeting, um, but that was really to support a friend. And I I did actually reach out to support groups like a couple months ago for like – Caretakers um because I had become a caretaker in my life and uh for uh, and I just wasn't ready for it and it was very overwhelming, but um I didn't actually end up going because. It was like, they sort of like ghosted me to be honest. It was like, oh my it, God. Was like hilarious. it was through, it was like emailing with this woman and yes. it was like through UCLA, And I guess like you had to have like a connection to UCLA to like mm-hmm. be in order to do it. And it was all on zoom. And I was just sort of like, you know what, this is fine. And then my life, I did feel a lot, a big shift in, um, I, I was in a really dark place and then something happened where I just felt this, this weight lift. And mm-hmm. then I sort of stopped pursuing it.
0: Yeah you know one. i think one of the pitfalls of being in a profession where you feel like your success is tied to standing out
1: mm-hmm.
0: and being exceptional is that we lose sight of the fact that the best moments as human beings is when we feel one of many
1: <sighs> yeah I really feel that it is true, and I do imagine that support groups are really a beautiful um, way to feel that. I had sort of an interesting. I, this is this is not directly related to your thought here, but it it reminded mm-hmm. me of it. Um, I spent a lot of time in my twenties, like rigorously pursuing success at the assumption that it would fulfill me and make me happy. And at some point in my life, when I was in my mid ish i think i was like twenty six I was like, "I don't want to wake up and like be thirty five and like be really successful and be miserable and have no idea how to be happy and I just sort of saw that path coming for myself and i um had done a lot of traveling when I was younger, solo traveling, and i it was always what made me feel most connected to myself and most at peace and um, I would always go and like, you know, I, when I was 21, I spent like a summer alone in India, like meditating and doing yoga and then came back and didn't do yoga for like six years. And like, I just sort of had these like two different existences. And, um, in my late twenties, I, uh, I had just come off morning show season one, finally for the first time in my life like had some stability and money and I took a month and I went to travel in Indonesia alone and I did the whole thing again where I like meditated and did yoga and then when I came back I was like okay I need to now do integration something I've never done and I like did a yoga teacher training for six months in LA like began having this daily practice to try to sort of pursue meaning in life outside of my six my career and um Although, of course, it's tied to something else that is, you know, teaching yoga, which is also a career. But uh, I really tried to do some work to um, get closer to who I was as a human and to find value in my life. And then that was, it ended in, in February of 2020, and then COVID happened. And I was grateful that I had this practice now. And at the same time, it, showed me like how little I knew how to take care of myself and really had no idea how to take care of myself despite having done that work like um was in a place of just like without like a work schedule without a routine without like having a promise of like achieving something I was like it was just so hard for me to learn like how to take like just give a shit about myself. <laughs> and, what
0: are my needs other than money?
1: Right. And yes, like how like except for surviving and except for achieving. And um so it's been and then and then yeah, and it's and then I guess finding a partner who didn't value success in any of the same way that I did and really valued his life based on like his friends and his, you know, family and his like hobbies. And I was like, oh, there's a whole other way that people live. Right. and <laughs> It seems pretty healthy. And, um, so I only, I, I told this massively, you know, I told this story, this tangent, sorry. Um, but just based on the idea that like finding, uh, a community finding meaning in your life outside of the work you do is, yes. I think, so important.
0: It it blew my mind the first time I was, uh, the, the thought was laid on me in a support group that I am not necessarily just my actions, that mm-hmm. I don't need to do anything to be worthy of love. And this person said every morning, and this is so fucking uncomfortable. She said, I want you to look in the mirror and say, I do enough. I have enough. I am enough. Mm-hmm. And it felt so cheesy, but I needed to be reminded of that because I always felt like me on my own, still not doing anything. I'm not enough.
1: We're so conditioned to feel that way, yeah, it's so hard to just know that like you already have everything you need. I know those things now, feeling them is a whole other story, right? like knowing the knowing it's a reality and actually deeply feeling it is that's the hard part, yeah, so
0: <laughs> what What other struggles uh, mm-hmm. do you find? recurring in your life
1: um past or present yeah i have i definitely have a lot of anxiety and i have um a, a massive problem with insomnia which is my personal hell i think it's actually might be related to something medical which is really exciting for me i finally did a sleep study and um it turns out I might be like some light form of sleep apnea is related to it, but it doesn't. But I. But also, it's uh, falling asleep is the issue, and that's what is not related to sleep apnea. So it's oh, Jesus um, Christ,
0: Gracie. Could you make more fucking noise <laughs> during an interview? I've been trying to ignore it, not mention it. I know it's, it's
1: so <laughs> <laughs> very cute. though. Oh
0: yeah. Yeah, uh, sleep apnea can be related to depression, mm. um, hypertension, high blood pressure, and obviously, you know, insomnia.
1: Yeah, I definitely have a lot of insomnia and anxiety, um, there, and so falling asleep is hard. And
0: are there particular thoughts that go through your brain or particular subject matter as you're laying? trying to fall asleep
1: it's a lot of thinking about the future and thinking about the past and regret regret is a huge thing for me and I think um it's I'm very much an overthinker so trying to turn my brain off is very hard it's hard to surrender right like this is my it's hard to let go and it's hard to actually I think surrender is like a huge thing that I work on and I think you know Something I've been feeling recently is just you have all these dreams of like what your life is going to be like, and then you're there, you're living your life and nothing feels like you thought it would feel. And I think it's just a lot of coming to terms with your reality and acceptance. And so I think like... It's not like I have also falling asleep is the anxiety, right? Like if I haven't, if it's two hours I've been laying in my bed and I'm not sleeping, all I'm thinking about is like, I really need to sleep. This is killing me. I'm going to be exhausted tomorrow. I'm not going to be able to wake up. I just need to fall asleep. Okay, let me count to 10. Okay, I counted to 10. I'm still awake. Let me keep, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. those constant thoughts of trying to fall asleep. That's where the surrender comes in. And Mm -hmm. it's really, really hard for me to actually um yeah just get from that place to a place of sleep and i feel like like last night i didn't sleep at all and then i start feeling like i'm operating at like 10 percent of where i should be and then everyone's like oh you should try melatonin and i'm like yeah i know
0: (laughs) you have now tried it
1: (laughs) oh i've tried it i've tried everything oh yeah. yeah uh
0: this is gonna sound really cheesy but something that helps me occasionally is i'll think about you know whatever the benevolent force in the universe is that you know, is the source of love or goodness or that good feeling we get when we do something nice for somebody else, I imagine myself laying in the palm mm. of that force. And that helps me surrender to what is and it reminds me that I'm not alone in this journey through the universe and that there is an energy out there that that I can connect to um, and I just I found it very comforting and a lot of times I'll forget to do that. But um, sometimes when I remember to do that, I can I can feel the anxiety leave leave my body.
1: That's amazing. Yeah, yeah I, d- I feel that there are certain meditations and I've been doing a lot of yoga nidra, which is the sleep uh, yoga For sleep, basically. Um, And those things can help me. But it's also I can do those things and then go to bed and still have insomnia. So it's sort of hit or miss for me. Um, But I I, I am a huge proponent of visualization and meditation and yoga. And um, I think my struggle is just like creating an actual daily practice for myself and a routine and maintaining like staying in that place because Mm -hmm. when I have the, like I can feel really good and then all the anxiety rushes back in and you have to really remind yourself that you are not your anxiety, that this is an experience that's happening to you. This is not who you are because I start feeling like I was doing so well and now like I'm what's happening. I'm in this place again. It's like, I, I feel like I have, you know, um, like, I failed. These two at yoga. different selves. Yeah, exactly. Right. And it's like, no, it's just that I'm experiencing this anxiety right now, right. and that doesn't mean that that's who I am. But coming back to who you are and separating from your anxiety, like that, has been a really hard thing for me. I get massive vulnerability hangovers. Um, How do you mean? If I feel like I've shared too much or been too vulnerable, um, I or done poorly at something I have like it's not a full panic attack but I get a massive amount of anxiety where I'm, i I go to the worst case scenario mm-hmm. and I am sort of um catastrophize of like I have done this thing and I have ruined everything <laughs> and um you know I'm, I'm trying to I'm in the process of writing and directing or I, I wrote and now I'm trying to direct my first feature and um which is actually sort of based, or not based on, but explores the same themes, is uh, derivative a little bit from the one I saw him again, that short I made at BuzzFeed. And I was interviewing the cast and casting it, and the first interview I did ever, or the first meeting I took with an actress, I had felt like I had shared way too much about myself. I'm the director here like I'm the right. one in, in leading oh, the meeting God. and I just felt like I had totally messed up. She would never want to do it. I like ruined everything like like I and I was like full on like panicking after for a whole day. And then they were like I ended up casting her. They were like she loved you, she wants to do it, she told her agent she thinks she gets the part and it she thinks she got the part. And you, the, it's just that the reality I create in my head is so different from the reality that exists. Sometimes uh, I, um, I, it's it's, but but I don't know that. Right. Like and
0: uh, why we don't put our crystal ball away? I, I I have no idea. I suppose because in some way it protected us as as kids. Maybe it's an evolutionary thing. Um, what if any catastrophizing thoughts? do you think you'll have after we're done recording?
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm sure. I mean, like, look, I think that I will probably go over certain lines that I said and be feeling like I shouldn't have said this, or I should have said more, or I didn't say enough, or if only I had done this, it would have been a better interview. And I could go either way. I could leave here feeling like I didn't do enough and I was too boring. I could leave here feeling like I overshared. I'm going to have to text you on my drive home and let you know, uh, actually, after I've driven home.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Uh, I have loved this conversation. Thank Uh, you. Really. um, I I appreciate your, your vulnerability and... Being willing to talk about the, the the things that are difficult, if not to talk about, to find words to express, because sometimes I think that's an even bigger hurdle than getting vulnerable, especially if we're a perfectionist, is I'm not going to express this right, so why express it at mm, all? Yeah. I don't know the totality of the truth around this subject, so why investigate it, you yeah. know? Uh, I think which is you know maybe some type of form of control, you know, for the catastrophizer,
1: um, I think so. And I think that, um, it is about control ultimately. I think that it, what's so interesting about this, the work as a performer or writer director is you are making yourself so vulnerable all the time, but it is through this protection of art where there is some separation between you actually sitting down and talking to one person versus it is a little bit easier for me to make a, make a short film. And put it out in the world than it is to sit down and be like, so let me tell you about what happened to me and you know, my experience with PTSD or whatever it is. And I think like when I this feature that I'm that I'm now working on, I um it is somewhat personal to me. And so part of the pitching process to financiers is like, here's my lookbook, here's the personal connection, here's who I am. And then every time you get a rejection, it's like, cool, I just laid everything out on the table. You were like, no thanks. And it doesn't hurt as bad because it just feels like this, like, I mean, it hurts, but it's like, it's like when people tweet, like, all of these insane things and you're like, you need to go to therapy, but it's just a lot easier to go tweet it (laughs) than to go to therapy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So. Uh,
0: Anything else you'd like to talk about before we wrap up?
1: I mean, I... I don't know. I mean, I can dig deeper into things we've discussed. I can talk about new things, Um, but there's nothing particularly that I'm like, you know, I, Oh, you know what I will talk about. And then again, if you have any follow-up questions to anything I've mentioned, we can go dig deeper, but um, is acting in the end of us. I hadn't acted in like two years and we all moved into this Airbnb and we basically had a very rough script and we were improvising most of the movie and, I was shocked at how terrified it was to be that vulnerable, not only improvising and not knowing, you know, hoping that I was going to be good enough, um, but acting, you have to be so vulnerable to get to these emotional places and to really let go and not think about what do I look like? Am I being stupid? Like to really be present in the moment. Mm-hmm.
0: Is my choice ridiculously bad?
1: Yes. And I, I am making choices and... um and also, like, we didn't have hair and makeup. We were just showing up and and putting on whatever and, and shooting. And so, like, separating from worrying about those, you know, is my hair okay? And just being present in the moment. It was really, really hard at first. And I I do think that being present is, like, a, a big struggle for me. I mean, I think having a dog is like what a great way to stay present. You have to stay oh present. Oh god, so good. Um and there's other things that I try to do to be present in my life, but it is like when you do have anxiety, um it is something that's really tough because you're constantly living in the past and the present, uh, past and the future. So acting, I was shocked at how vulnerable I had to be to do it and how hard but ultimately rewarding it was. Mm.
0: You, We can cut this out if you would uh, like, and if you don't want to talk about this topic, and I've kind of debated on whether or not to bring it up, but you mentioned that you had done a short about mm-hmm. experiencing date rape.
1: Well, yes, I did do a short about that. Um, I, it's so funny. I've never thought of it as date rape, but I guess that is what the short, that is what it is in the short. Um, but... Yeah, that is what it is, I suppose. Uh, yeah, I did do a short about that. You can cut these, <laughs> this space out, too. But um, yeah, I made that in 2016. And that came to me because I, I really just had this idea of a woman following her rapist around and like seeing his day and seeing what he was doing and what his life was. And um, that's just this image that came to me. And from that, I wrote this short film. I had experienced an assault, gray area. I wouldn't call it a date rape because I was not dating this person and we weren't on a date and I had met him that night. And um, it was just a sort of crazy, like, just like bad. Like at the time, because I was, now we have language for this. This was 2007, there was no language for it. Mm Um, it was just like, oh, a bad experience. That was creepy. That was scary. Oh, he sucks. Like, you know, it wasn't really something that I had the language for. Then um, when I was in India, when I was 21, I had a physical assault that was no the opposite of a gray area, literally hiking. Someone attacked me. Attempted rape. I I escaped. I had like pepper spray and like I um, ran down this mountain for an hour and a half. And good lord, it was horrifying. Um, having that experience sort of made me realize I had never processed my other experience it was sort of this because i had a lot of ptsd from that experience like i was really afraid to walk home alone at night after i got back to college i didn't really i told my parents about it i told some friends about it but like i hadn't processed it i like went to see a therapist at the counseling session and are you I, talking
0: about the first no uh, the India.
1: second. Okay. yeah um yeah i went to see a therapist and I was like, I'm having a hard time adjusting back from my trip. And she was like, oh, that's normal. And then I just like, never. Jet <laughs> <Shit-lagged>. lag. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, I don't think I can do this. Um, so because of like sort of those physical PTSD experiences I was having, I, um, some of them became like, I was afraid to go into a public bathroom. Like I was afraid to be in an elevator with a man, just like not feeling safe in the world. And um, I sort of realized like part of it was linked to this other experience and that one was much harder for me to accept because like it was like there there were no rule I was like oh I can't be upset about this because it wasn't that bad like I can't like this couldn't be traumatic like even though I knew it was traumatic it was like I didn't give myself the permission to feel in the same way when I was attacked by a stranger it's like this is like there's no great. denying the there's category no, that's in right. There's no denying it. No one will make me feel bad. I mean, they will. They'll be like, "Why were you going on a sure. hike in India? You're what fucking What were idiot. you wearing but, when like, you were right. hiking? <laughs> oh,
0: just some sexy boots and some Daisy Dukes."
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. Not. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was like, it was just so much easier to classify that experience and yeah. to have the words to talk about it. And so, I. Um, in my early twenties, I was just grappling with so much fear and so much distrust of men, and made horrible choices about who I dated. And um, I just felt like, also at the same time in India, I wasn't raped. I was nothing happened, so it was hard to even talk about that because I was like, "Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. Nothing happened." Like,
0: but the so- but the possibility of it, I think, destroys something in us. The same as if it had actually happened, because the amount of safety in the world in that moment is basically the same. It It's yes. fucking chaos and horror.
1: Yes, completely. I the feeling of I am about to be raped, this is about to happen to me. I mean, it was a horrible feeling, and I still deeply, you know, remember that feeling. Um, I can't say it was just as bad as if it had happened, but it was definitely something that I was allowed to have feelings about. And I think at the time it just felt it took so long for me to admit that this was something that it was okay to be struggling with and that the PTSD I was having um, was... I mean at some point I just couldn't ignore it anymore. Right. You know, like at some point I was like, okay, this is disrupting my life. Like I need to ride this elevator to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> um like I said I had a dad who lots of experience with PTSD and you know, I ended up talking to him about it and he and I went to therapy and I made that short film and um the short film again is based on the more gray area experience I had. I wouldn't say gray area but just um, at the
0: time it was a gray area to yeah
1: you. like at the time it was something that I didn't know how to express my that it was traumatizing and um that it was you know it took me a long time to use the word assault or to feel that I had ownership over the experience and so um I ultimately you know the short film is about healing and it's about that healing is possible and that you know, trauma does come in and out of your life and unpredictable ways, or PTSD comes in and out of your life mm-hmm. in unpredictable ways, but it is something that you can heal from. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I wrote this the film version of it a couple of years ago. Um and now we're trying to take it out and it's like I it's funny because I feel so disconnected from it. I'm like, I feel like another person wrote it. Because I feel like there has there is this element of me where I feel like I am so, like, I've so moved on. Like, I feel like my whole 20s, plus I wrote on Morning Show, which is about mm-hmm. me too, and it's about, you know, season one. It's so much about um, the way that men, and, uh, I mean, men and women, but but specifically this one male character, like, <laughs> abuse power and mm-hmm. take advantage of women and power dynamics and sexual assault and, um so, I just felt like, oh, my whole twenties was like about this, and now I'm like moving on to something else, and it's sort of nice to have that distance from yeah. the topic as i uh and that perspective, yeah, as I delve into it,
0: you know one of the things that I think is so important for somebody who's experienced something, especially if it's in a gray area uh is reminding ourselves that it's not about whether you would win a court case right but rather what am i feeling Mm -hmm. you know
1: absolutely like trying to distance yourself from how are other people going to perceive this and do I have the right to feel this way when so many worse things have happened to other people? Mm. And if you can try to quiet those and just sit with, how does this feel for me? How did this make me feel violated? How does that impact my view on the world? How, you know, like, why, how is this hurtful to me? And just sort of allowing yourself to feel that way. And um,
0: and how can I be a good friend to myself? How, can, mm-hmm. how, how would I treat my best friend? If they yeah. had gone through this and then do that yeah. for ourselves, which is so fucking hard.
1: I know that you interviewed Chanel Miller, um, mm. who I loved her interview and I love her book. And in her book, she has a line where, you know, um, she, her the, the the man who assaulted her, uh, you know, there wasn't like um, – it was like a digital penetration and he – it wasn't like and, – and there's this line about how he – doesn't get to not be called a rapist just because he ran out of time. And I thought that that was such a good powerful way for her to like take ownership over her experience where it's like I'm going to use the word rapist because what he did to me although it's not what we consider rape in a typical sense of like penetration, it was a complete violation. It was it, it was it was a rape and He would have done worse things if he wasn't stopped by two other people. So I think that like having to um, get you, you do get to categorize your own emotional response to things. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're going to win a court case or not. What matters is that you process Mm -hmm. your trauma and that you process. Also, we all have so much different, like it's not, nothing is isolated as an experience, right? Like the way that I experienced The things that happened to me are based on my childhood. They're based on the trauma that already maybe I had or specific things that are scary to me. Um, Every view
0: of your self-worth.
1: Exactly. Your
0: autonomy over your body. Uh Excuses you make for gender or society or whatever.
1: Yeah. Like for me, like saying no was like a thing I had never learned because it's like, I'm a people pleaser. My job is to make other people happy. My job Mm -hmm. is to say yes. My job is to, you know, like those are things that so many young women learn when they're so young. And so like understanding, and then you blame yourself so much because you're like, if only I was stronger, if only Mm -hmm. I could stand up for myself. And it's like, I think it's a big process of learning that like at the time, there was no other choice that could be made because I was a kid and I did not know how to make other choices. And I, th- I wish for all women who experience, you know, things like this to have that self-compassion.
0: If you could go back in time and talk to yourself the day after mm. or even during, mm-hmm. what, if anything, would you say to yourself and how, how do you think you would have reacted to hearing that, it's okay if nothing comes to mind, but mm-hmm.
1: um... I think the best thing I could have heard is that there was no other reality except for this one, you know, that like there, there, there. I think the best thing that I could have heard the day after was that. This didn't happen because I made a bad choice. I think so much of that sitting in, if only I'd done this, if only I'd done that, what you learn in those moments is not to trust yourself and you learn that you have bad judgments. And I think that really then impacts so much of your life of feeling like you, or at least for me, I think it really did a feeling this, this, that because I put myself in a situation where this happened, I can't trust my own choices. And so decision-making became very hard. Trusting that I had um, good judgment became hard. Um, And so I think I would tell myself that I, that it wasn't, see, it's so interesting because it's like, I wanted to say it wasn't something specifically because of... It wasn't that something that I did that, that created the situation. Right. At the same time, I do feel like certain people are more vulnerable to things because of their personality. Hmm. So...
0: Which is a separate subject. Exactly. From <laughs> that person being a rapist.
1: Exactly. Yes, yes, right. yes, yes, yes. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And how do you think you would have reacted hearing future you say that
1: i mean i think that you really have to learn things on your own and i think it would have been hard for i think i would have heard it and i don't know if i could have accepted it um but i think it would have been nice to to feel that and to feel the compassion and to feel that it you know isn't something that's wrong with me that right. that is the reason <laughs> that caused this to happen um
0: and even that you're not able to take it in right and give way to it right now right you know the, the the shame it just morphs from one thing to the the other the shame that this happened to me to the shame that i'm experiencing these sy- symptoms to the shame that um You know, I can't find the right way to express it or I'm not healing correctly or it's taking me too long or I'm being a a baby or a drama queen or I'm, you know, on and on and on and on. And I think people who've never experienced violation don't understand that 5% of it is the memory of the event itself and 95% of it is the ripples.
1: That is so real. I mean, it's so true that, like, I remember going back home and reading my journal from after it happened and sort of sitting with the memory of that I had just written and feeling like wow, I never think about this stuff. I never think about the actual things that happened. I'm always thinking about the way I felt after for all of these different reasons. Um, They're so, I mean, it, it, it carries so much weight and it's so powerful. And I think that, like, the... The trauma really lies in the processing almost Mm -hmm. (laughs) more than the actual trauma. That's where the
0: heavy lifting is. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Allie, I've really enjoyed uh, talking to you. And um, the the name of Allie's movie is The End of Us. And there's tons of her stuff on uh, YouTube. I imagine Vimeo as well.
1: Yes, I have a Vimeo. um, And then uh, YouTube... um, uh, it's just Ali Vangiano, I think. And then um, I'm trying to think of like, w- that's probably where the best collection of my work is okay. on my YouTube and my website, AllieVangiano.com has the shorts we discussed today. Um,
0: and your social media handles?
1: My Instagram is the real Ali Vangiano. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so tired of the fake Allie Vangianos.
1: I I, I'm really trying to get the Ali Vangiano account, um, but I I... It's a whole story, basically. I'm locked out of it. It's an account that I created when I was like 20. And um, you forgot your password. And I don't have the email or the. I, I can't access it again. So yeah. it's like I need to change my name to something, but I don't know what yeah. it is yet. Um, and yeah, it's so. Fun. It was really nice talking to you today. I always think like I don't want to talk about like uh, like the assault ptsd stuff and you know a big fear of trying to make this movie in this topic is like i'm gonna have to talk so much about it and then i have to remind myself like well the movie is talking about it and then you mm-hmm. can talk you can then say whatever else you want and um i it was nice to talk today and not feel as scared as i assumed i would oh, be ahead. so it took I'm some glad. fear away from me yeah.
0: thanks for coming in
1: thank you for having me
0: i really enjoyed talking to her Uh, We'll put links to any of our stuff uh, under the show notes for the podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
1: Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking: what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Let's
0: dive into some surveys. There's no way I'm going to get through all of these. I always bite off more than I can I can chew. Uh, this is from the Shame and Secret survey. This is filled out by a woman who calls herself R. She identifies as straight. She's in her 20s and was raised, uh, she says, in a slightly dysfunctional environment, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. she, but she doesn't specify she's been emotionally abused and uh, she's not sure if she's been physically abused. She writes, Paul, I'm starting to realize I probably experienced a lot of emotional abandonment from my parents and that it has affected me a lot. I don't know why I pronounced that so. <laughs> well, yeah, I, over- I read that like uh, I was a first grader uh, at a spelling bee my parents are nice people kind and often generous but they check out and ignore reality completely they don't have the emotional resilience to deal with anything and often i am the one to check on check up on how they are and to do the emotional labor by the way if you've never read the book running on empty um by uh one of our guests uh janice webb check it out. It's about emotional abandonment and it's so good. And I don't know if I've ever recommended a book on the podcast that people have um, reacted to um, positively as much as as that one. Um, If I have to deal with anything hard, like being stalked, they totally check out. And if I'm honest with them about it, they just go into shame about themselves and I have to take care of them as an adult i'm trying to mitigate this but it's hard because i'm being stalked by someone who severely abused me in the past and they have totally checked out as parents and human beings i lost my jobs because of ptsd and my mom just gave me a hard time again about not working i feel like no one will take me seriously because my parents are so nice and my friends are often jealous of my parents and how nice they are if i want my parents to take something like me uh, being and feeling unsafe seriously, all I have to do, I, oh, I have to do all the work there. And when I am honest, they can't handle it and do whatever mental gymnastics they can to check out. I thought I had reached a good middle ground with my mom until she brought up me not working like we had never talked about it. I'm trying so hard with my parents, and it feels like they are my adult children I've had since I was a baby. I never feel like I can be vulnerable around them. If I have a romantic relationship, I can't tell them because I feel like I can't be honest that there is a part of me that wants and needs to feel loved. I am leaving really soon for South America, and after that, I'm not going back. So I won't be around my parents anymore, and I think that's for the best I've experienced sexual abuse and other forms of abuse not at the hands of my parents and I can't help but feel so much more pain when other people especially my parents don't care. It's like I only exist for them, like I'm a character in their movie and they are the main characters. I feel so much shame about this because it feels like being honest because it feels like being honest with how bad my parents make me feel is me being ungrateful. But honestly, being around them and emotionally taking care of them makes me feel so worthless. The fact that they can't recognize how unsafe I feel makes me feel like they aren't my real parents. I think so many people, sadly, relate really deeply to what you just wrote. And there's that extra hurdle of not being able to point to any particular, you know, stereotypical, dramatic moment that other people have so we can say, this is where it all got fucked up. And I get you. I get you. Any positive experiences with abusers? Yes, my parents are also very kind at times, and I know they try their best to give me a lot of financial support, but also it feels like they see that as a replacement for actually being a parent and as an excuse too. Darkest thoughts? I don't know. This one time I had a former friend kind of leave me for dead. That has to be the first time I've heard that phrase, kind of leave me for dead. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. So I have a lot of anger come up about him and think about spitting in his face a lot. I don't know if I feel shame about that, though, to be honest. Darkest Secrets. I don't know if I really have any secrets anymore, question mark. One thing happened to me with the person who abused me, and it was one of the most violating things I can imagine, but I don't know anyone else who has been through that, so I don't really know. That's kind of a secret, I guess. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I am really shut down in that area from abuse. I guess being held by someone I love and trust. I would love to have sex with someone I love and trust. I think it would be awesome and super healing. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Uh, The friend who kind of left me for dead, his response to my cry for help was to totally check out in some crazy new age space. And he said I should just focus on the light and nothing bad will happen. And if something bad does happen, it's because I was focusing on fear and not the light. I am not friends with him anymore. But if I saw him again, I think I would just say, the light is the truth, no matter how painful it is. I heard a native man say that once when talking about facing colonialism. It guided me through a lot of my own life and also in doing work as a white person in acknowledging my place in oppression. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for love, I wish for a boyfriend or whatever who I can trust to hug me. That's what I truly wish for. Also, I wish to be in nature forever. I'm going to live in the mountains. Even if I'm technically homeless, I'm going to do it. Uh, She's shared some of these things with her friends. And how do you feel after writing them down? I feel sad. I can't wait to leave. Well, I I just want to applaud you on making that decision to save your mental health and stop being around people that... um, just keep opening that wound, whether they're intentionally doing it or not. That is, that is where self-love begins. Listening to your gut. Yeah. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you don't feel like someone loves or cares about you, your feelings are valid. Love is more than someone saying, I love you, or feeling the feeling of love. Love involves respect and kindness and protection. Love is safety and feeling safe. Love is courage. It took being stalked to realize how I've felt my entire life and especially that my childhood was valid. Well, wow, thank you for an amazing survey. It is such important stuff. Such important stuff, you know, that this podcast a lot of times in my effort to keep it compelling I read a lot of stuff that's that's dramatic and uh, sometimes I, f- I feel like maybe I'm making a mistake by doing that because I should be reading stuff that is more nuanced and kind of under the radar. And I do that because I'm a monster and I'm deep down I'm a terrible person. This is a, from the Shame and Secret survey filled out by a gender fluid person who calls themselves Yellow Flamingo. Uh, they identify as pansexual. They're in their 20s. They were uh, raised, they say, in a slightly dysfunctional environment. They were the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, Also, some stuff happened, but uh, they say that they don't know if it counts. Uh, My parents had sex when I was in the room. My biological father touched me when I was younger. Sexual things were discussed with me and while I was present before I felt comfortable with it uh, when I was a child. Uh, they've been physically and emotionally abused. I was hit as a child and hit with a wooden spoon. Why is the spoon always wooden? When You never hear about somebody getting hit with a plastic spoon. It's always the wooden spoon. Uh, they should have a little ticket on it in the store that says, please don't hit your children with this. We know it's very tempting because this is made of wood. But don't be a dick. They're your fucking kids. Um verbally made to feel a lot of shame and guilt in terms of academics and appearance. The positive experiences with abusers. Yes, both of my parents try to do the very best and are supportive. They are very open minded as I am queer. It is certainly very conflicting, and it took me twenty years to realize that I was abused as the the positive experiences overshadowed the rest. And what a really important point that it's it's not about You know a grade that you're looking to give your parents it's like that previous survey do you feel safe with them you know does it feel like they are trying to do better that that they can see you and feel you and when you bring up and try to set boundaries do they take them seriously darkest thoughts i have a very vivid fantasy of me standing on the train tracks at night surrounded by a coniferous forest under the moonlight and seeing the light of the train approaching. This fantasy calms me down when I am too manic to fall asleep or when I am dreading life. Another recent fantasy that I use for before sleeping is more graphic. I like to imagine every little detail of someone taking me apart on a surgical table, joint by joint, starting with the fingers, hands, then the face, and so on. Not gory, but in an artistic way, as if for a body exhibition. I also think about being raped. I fantasize about torturing people I feel a rage for. Darkest Secrets. I'm a very open-minded person, so my secrets aren't too deep. I used to steal a lot and was never caught. I keep the fact that I have complex PTSD for most people, even though I'm very transparent about my bipolar and borderline personality. One of my secrets is that I am scared. I had a lot of outdoor promiscuous sex uh, when I was manic. I have a love addiction. Hmm. Can't think of more, but I will remember later. Uh, I'm sure. Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I want to be dominated by men. Also, I want the fantasy of me being like a child and taken care of by quote daddies and quote mommies, but in a Sexual way, being controlled and forced to watch my girlfriend being used, even though it brings out rage but also turns me on. It's weird compiling a list of my sexual fantasies. In a way, it's very liberating. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? A family friend took her life recently. I'm so sorry to hear that. I was not very close to her as she lived very far away, but we grew up alongside each other and she was younger by three years. It hit me hard and still feels raw. I wish I could have reached out. I wish I knew that she was struggling, but how can I when nobody fucking talks about mental health as if it's like, uh, as it is like any other illness? If it was cancer, I would have known and had the chance to say something. I would have liked to have told her how I understand, how she is not alone. I would have suggested to her to listen to your podcast. I wished I could have hugged her and told her to hold on and do things minute by minute or even second by second. So many things, and it makes me tear up just writing this. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for a guarantee that my girlfriend would be forever safe. I wish for my family's health. I wish for the end to animal cruelty, for people to cherish the environment. I love nature. I wish that one day I can love myself as much as my fiancé loves me." I love that that saying, I just want to be the man my dog thinks I am. Have you shared these things with others? I've shared everything I've written down and everything with my girlfriend, well, fiancé, some of it with close friends. I surround myself with accepting, open-minded individuals, and I'm very lucky. They all know I'm a bit wacky, and I've not gotten a bad reaction yet. Thank you for that. Thank you for that beautiful survey. Appreciate that. This is from the Love Survey, filled out by a friendly black hottie. And uh, she writes, I love the blast of heat that hits you in the face when you've been sitting in a cool office all day, and it's the first real hot day of the year that lets you know it's officially summer. I love finding finding a random piece of candy in my purse. That is such a good one. I love taking a midday nap with the blinds open and the sun shining on me. I love when I'm teaching a dance class and everyone is lost in the music enjoying themselves. I also love the collective sighs after working my class hard. I love when I hug people and they give an extra tight squeeze. It feels genuine. I love giving random strangers compliments and seeing their face light up with happiness or gratitude. I love that one. I love seasoning a pot of food without measuring perfectly on the first try. Those are great. Love those. Thank you for those. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Kyle. He identifies as straight. He's in his 30s, was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, was the victim of sexual... uh, Ever been the victim of sexual abuse, some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. He writes, I can't really remember it. It seems very blocked out. Maybe I made it up, but I remember my doctor asking my mother to leave the room and I can remember him touching me near my penis and it feeling good. But that was it. That's all I can recollect. Uh, Never been physically abused, never been emotionally abused, and then he... Writes, I mean, my one girlfriend was really hard on me, but no, she's also super sweet and a loving person, so sometimes you just got to take people's advice, I think. I think it depends on the tone. You know, it's hard to sometimes I think you got to parse out what somebody is saying from the tone that they're that they're using cuz some people are well-meaning, but they were, you know, maybe raised in environments where uh, Everything was delivered with hostility or aggression, and they don't realize how they're coming across. Darkest thoughts. I have a fantasy of rape. Darkest secrets. I've cheated on every girlfriend I've ever had. The last three with escorts. I am so ashamed because I loved each one of these women deeply. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I like the idea of knowing a woman is going to or has an obligation to have sex with me. It makes me feel sad and ineffective that I use women. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd like to tell someone, anyone, about this feeling and compulsion. I do not want to be the kind of man that cheats, and yet time and time again, I do. What, if anything do you wish for, I wish for forgiveness from my most recent ex for the cheating. I wish that I could uh, know with certainty that this is the last time I cheat. Have you shared these things with others? Yes, but never to the full extent of telling them about the escorts. It's too shameful. I've told almost everyone I know about my cheating, but not to the extent. I just sort of had to put myself in a point of no return. How do you feel after writing these things down? Sad. I've let someone down I care deeply for and wanted to build a life with. Uh, anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Um, I love you. I am sorry. I am working on being a better man. Thank you for sharing that. I think it, it, it would be really great if you found a support group to to get some camaraderie and, and some support. And uh, I know with my issues, it has definitely helped me feel less alone and, and helped me heal and, and grow. This is uh, from the Shame and Secret Survey, and this is filled out by A woman who calls herself montana ring and she identifies as straight she's in her 40s was raised she says in a slightly dysfunctional environment uh was the victim of sexual abuse and one time reported it and another time did not report it She writes, I suspect something happened when I was very young. I don't have a good memory or knowledge. The things I do know, ages 5 to 12, an older neighbor exposed himself to me. It bothers me. I think he did more. I remember him taking me to his house, his room, but no more. The idea that he made me do oral sex is tapping me on the shoulder, but I really have no memory. Age 13 to 18, uh started having, he started having sex with me. I met my best friend through him. He took her virginity at 12 and was messing with both of us at the same time. We were both friends of his sister. I feel that he should have paid for this. I think my parents were aware and did not protect me. Maybe my parents were just grateful that their toady daughter had a boyfriend. After the 18-year-old went away, no clue where or why, this 12-year-old best girlfriend and I often drank with adult men in their 20s and had sex with them. She and I talked about running away to Chicago to be hookers. Why not get paid for it? That was my career goal at 13. That guy really messed us up. I was a gifted child, but have always undershot and underperformed. Teenage drinking and promiscuity. I just blamed myself for all the sexual things that transpired. Having sex was the only attention I got, so I let it happen and laughed it off. I was just one of the guys who needed love or stupid girl stuff. Married at 19, divorced at 25. A year of drinking and promiscuity. Married again at 26. He forced me to do sexual things I didn't enjoy, but I did them for him. He was extremely abusive. Divorced at 41. I still don't know how I feel. Betrayed. Angry. Humiliated. 41 to 49. Some casual dating. No relationships. No abuse. I am happy. Age 49 on. Sexually assaulted by a trusted co-worker outside of work and sexually harassed by him at work. I am enraged, humiliated, and shamed, but angry. I reported it to the police and HR. My company still makes me work with him, and I was becoming depressed, so I recently gave two weeks notice. I'm scared, but it will be okay in the end. I can't see him every day, and have HR tell me I'm just overreacting and to get over it. You should report that company because that is... Well, I shouldn't tell you what I think you should do, but um, reading that... I find myself saying, God, I wish she would report HR because that is fucked up and you deserve better than that. Uh, She's been physically and uh, emotionally abused, uh, never good enough for my mom my whole life. She never even said, I love you until she saw me parenting my own children. Any positive experiences with abusers? He was my best friend. We had a lot of good times together. Darkest thoughts. I know I'm a beautiful woman. I am intelligent and creative. I have a good heart. I am always sunny and positive, but I don't feel good enough for anything or anyone. I am sad that no one will ever love me unless I settle for abuse. And that is a lie that your brain is telling you. Darkest Secrets. I think I must be crazy or broken that I hurt so bad inside, and yet things look so good on the outside. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. Just having an intimate relationship with a partner who really cares for me as a person is my biggest fantasy. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to I'm sorry for being such a disappointment to everyone who gets too close to me. I'll never say it because they'll know how fucked I, re- how fucked up I really am. What, if anything, do you wish for to make a positive difference in the lives of others? Have you shared these things with others? No, I'm not close to anyone. Oh my God! Can you hear my stomach again? Holy shit! How do you feel after writing these things down? Somewhat less anxious about the future than I did when I started. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences. It's not your fault, and there are people who care about you. Maybe you just haven't met them yet. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. Half of the battle of life is finding our people. And letting them love us is fucking itchy and uncomfortable and scary as that sounds. You know if we've grown up with conditional love or love with mixed messages, it's so hard to believe that somebody can actually love us and care about us and, and even love the parts of us that are you know quote unquote less than perfect and the last thing I want to read um, this it was sent by a guy uh, who is writing from prison and um, i i hope he hears me read this because i want to ask his permission to read the rest of his letter but it it's he shares a lot of personal stuff and i want to get his okay um before i read the rest of that but i'm sure he's okay with me reading the loves that that he listed um and his uh, initials are k k um so if you're if you're listening to this write me And let me know if it's okay to read the the rest of your survey uh, or if there's anything you want withheld uh, from that. And thank you for your letter. By the way, you sound like a a really sweet soul. Uh, And so his loves. I love delicious cold water going down my throat on a hot summer day. I love when I wake up in the morning and all four of my cats are curled up on the bed around me and on me. God, I miss them. I love when I kiss my cat and the way his fur smells, LOL. I love when a song transports me to a a fond memory that makes me smile or makes me cry. I love Thai food and the smells coming from the kitchen at a Thai restaurant. I love when I dream about my grandpa who passed away 13 years ago. I love stepping off the plane in Hawaii, my home state, and knowing I'm home, because of the stifling wall of humidity I'm walking into and the smell of fresh downpour mixed with blooming plumerias. And I love all the sick, sick, fucked up people on the podcast that make me feel like we are all normal. Thank you for that. Your 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 loves and your email really, really touched me. And um, I'm sending you some love, buddy. Sending you a hug. Um... I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and uh, just remember, if you're out there and your brain is telling you that you're alone, even if you're physically alone, you are you are not alone in spirit, and uh, you got a you got a family out there. And like that person said, it's just a process of of finding them, and it's an amazing feeling when you do find your people. It's amazing, um, and never forget, you're not alone. And thanks for listening.